Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. Her name is Lori Simpson, and she comes to us from Virginia. And she's uh, got a story that I'm hearing with greater frequency about real corruption in the medical service industry to the point of real beyond ordinary corruption, some really horrible stuff. And I was talking to her in the pre-show, and I know two people who I've done interviews with whose family members have died going into the hospital relatively sick, I mean, relatively healthy, and came out um, in the corners, you know, body bag, like really horrible stuff. Uh, Don Jeffries and Alex Stein both had family members die. Uh, so I'm going to go into this. Uh, I'm not going to keep this on YouTube. And if you're listening to my show, all of my interviews, the best place to listen to my show is on some podcast distributor. It's always the best place because I'm not censored there. So YouTube does not have the all of my shows. It has my interviews that I've done with people and talked with people, but it doesn't have people interviewing me. So there's a lot of things that aren't there. Some of the research stuff that's way too sensitive for the fascists at Google cannot be on YouTube in the current environment we're in in this country, which is a very sad and pitiful situation. So do not think that YouTube is the best place. They also laid in my shows with double the ads uh, without my consent, really. So I don't even know. I should probably just take it off of the um, AdSense thing where I don't even run ads on YouTube. So it's really a terrible company run by terrible people. So I'm taking this off of YouTube. Listen to my show on iTunes, uh, Spotify, uh, Megaphone, anywhere else. But YouTube is probably not the great. They have the right technology that streams out. All my shows are backed up on Odyssey and Rumble. So you can go and listen to this show on Odyssey and Rumble too live. Uh, well, not live, but it'll be it'll be after that. But this is the only place... You can also see it on Facebook while I'm still there. I haven't been kicked off of there yet. Twitter as well under William Ramsey Investigates. But these, these are subjects that have to be in the public discourse. They're so important. It's really a matter of life and death. And it's a disgrace for these tech companies who've had all the laissez-faire benefits of the country to censor people out of these personal one-to-one -one discussions. They are disgusting people. The government is complicit as well, and to not call them fascists is a disgrace too. So these are awful people. They're garbage people, and the, this discussion really should be allowed on YouTube. I'm sorry, Lori, but I'm going to take this off of YouTube, and then we're going to have a real heart-to-heart. -heart. She's going to tell her, tell her story. I'm not going to try to interrupt, so do not listen to this on YouTube. Taking off of YouTube. Remove. Delete. Okay. Sorry about that intro. Got a little heated. Lori, thanks so much for coming and telling your story. I think it's very mm -hmm. important. And please take your time, you know, go background and, and mm -hmm. tell me what happened. Well, this is day 84 of my husband's imprisonment in Fair Oaks and Nova Hospital. Um, he contracted COVID on December 19th. He cleared it within a week. We followed the American Frontline Critical Care Alliance protocol. Dr. Zelenko's protocol had the guidance of our integrated physician. And then he, asked, he actually aspirated when I was doing some chest work to help clear his lungs on December 30th. Four days later, he couldn't maintain his oxygen sets above 80. And so as they were dropping, we filled out a medical power of attorney. We put down all of his home medications. We put down that we would not accept a vent. We would not accept Brindemisphere. 
and then I called the ambulance. We're not um, natives of Virginia, so we did not know what hospital to go to. We picked this one just because they had an outpatient pharmacy. I assumed with aspiration pneumonia, he would be there 10 days, and then I'd run some antibiotics at home. That is not what happened. As soon as we entered into the ER, the uh, doctor wanted to know if he was vaccinated. And as soon as he found out that he was not vaccinated, everything went south from there. They wanted to start Rundemisphere when we objected and we gave him the paperwork. They wanted me to explain why we were objecting to Rundemisphere. I cited all the, the, uh, the studies and the doctor just rolled his eyes. We said we would not accept a vent. And then we compromised and we said that we would only accept a vent because we wanted him to be a full code if he coded. Life got very difficult after that. He went up to the ICU for 13 days. And on the second night, they told him that if he took the now expired, um, it was uh, January 6th, expired PCR test, that he could see me. He was convinced that it was the new PCR uh, COVID flu test. It was not. It was the old one. They ran the test. It came back four days later, presumed positive only presumed positive, and that would be, they, they ran it at a high cycle threshold, I'm assuming, because he was unvaccinated. I was never able to find out what cycle threshold they used. The lab was about to tell me, but the person on the phone went away, and when she came back, she said only the doctor can have that information. My husband tested negative for COVID four times prior to the hospitalization, including the morning that we called the ambulance. The doctors took my word that the Binex test was accurate for the positive test on December 19th, but the same test that came back negative four times prior to the hospital, they wouldn't accept that at all. So that made no sense. And then their test only came back presumed positive. But after that, they kept writing COVID pneumonia all over the chart. He was put on a Pfizer antibiotic empirically. It did nothing. They did not seek to find out what organism they needed to treat. They did some cultures, but cultures aren't always sensitive enough to pick up what we need to treat. We got him switched to Leviquin about 20 days in, and unfortunately that didn't touch it either. But they're all about protocol, so that was only 10 days. So we went 33 days not addressing the organism. His admitting chest x-ray showed just infiltrates. He had no comorbidities. He had just gotten back from India in November. He was flying around the world doing embassy security. Um, he's embedded in the State Department and he was doing well. And then the aspiration pneumonia hit and they refused to treat it for 33 days. We were trying to get him out against medical advice in early February, but the BiPAP machine that they had him on to oxygenate him created a pneumothorax he ended up with three different chest tubes and he couldn't maintain, um, he wasn't able to rid his body of carbon dioxide after that. So the discharge to home, which was supposed to be on February 8th, never happened and he's still there now. During that period of time, the nurse practitioner overnight walked into his room and said to him, you wanna be a DNR, right? And I saw it around, um, in the middle of the night, I haven't been sleeping, called the night nurse immediately and said, what are you doing changing his code status? You didn't call me. You didn't ask him. The next day- DNR, for people who don't know, sorry to interrupt, it means do uh -huh. not resuscitate. So it's a choice you make if you go 
far down the, the pathway into a coma story. Right. And he wasn't, um, he wasn't amazingly, he, he was still fighting. He was fine. He still is to this moment. He is alert. He's oriented. He can talk around what is now a trait collar. Um, but they did change his code status. And the next day, um, the CEO of the hospital came into his room and wanted me to go downstairs to his office. I said, no, I'm not leaving my husband. So in front of John, they said that, you know, he was a no code. And I said, he's been a full code the entire time he's been in this hospital. And we did get that changed, but we were reprimanded for trying to interfere with the treatment team's care. All we ever did was ask questions because we were able to see that nursing standards were not being followed. He got his teeth brushed uh, four times in the first 50 days of his stay. He got four baths in the first 50 days. And I even said to the CEO, how many times have you brushed your teeth in the past 50 days? You know, so now he has dental issues and dental issues can lead to cardiac issues. Standards of care were just ignored. They did a nutritional assessment on January 12th. Nothing was added. And now the dietitian is writing that he's lost 62 pounds because he refused supplementation. He wasn't even offered anything. He wasn't offered therapies. He wasn't offered uh, PT and OT. Uh, later on, when they were starting to try and get him to walk in preparation for discharge, uh, they told him he should have been moving in bed more. Well, he wasn't given exercises. He wasn't told that. He's not a medical person. He had no idea. So after 20 days, um, I was allowed in to see him. I kept sending in my natural immunity. I have antibodies that are through the roof. I have T cells. It didn't matter. I wasn't allowed to see him. He was alone, but he was talking to me on a regular basis. Then around February 12th, I got a call from the doctor that said, uh, your husband needs to go on the vent. You either need to put him on the vent or make him a DNR. That was my informed consent. And so he would have died that day. I allowed the vent. I asked, it was eight o'clock in the morning. I asked, could I please come in and talk to him before you put him on the vent? He's being maintained just fine on a BiPAP right now. And all the doctor said to me is, we'll see you at one. They had visiting hours from one to five at the time. And I said, he never wanted this. I really need to talk to him about it. And they wouldn't let me talk to him on the phone. They wouldn't let me come in. Now, this was such an emergency that they didn't actually put him on the vent until 10 minutes to one that day, 10 minutes before I arrived. So when I arrived, he was sedated on fentanyl and propofol, unaware. Heavy, of heavy drugs, yeah. Propofol heavy, heavy drugs. Yeah. So despite that um, and continuing to be sedated the whole time, he came off of that vent. He was extubated six days later. He did very well the first day. And then for some reason, they felt a need to put him on a medication that's used to keep people asleep during surgery. It should never be used more than 24 hours. They had him on it for three days. He was so sedated. Again, he couldn't clear his carbon dioxide. I was visiting and a half an hour after I left, I got a call from that same doctor that said, put him on a vent or make him DNR. And this time he's gonna need a trach. I again asked if I could come in they said no. And so he was put on the vent and they had him super sedated and visits were just me praying over him, playing praise music, talking to him, trying to work the edema out of his hands. They had him tightly restrained. 
I was allowed to do passive range of motion the first three days. I was encouraged to do so by the nursing staff. And then all of a sudden, one of the nurses who had written a falsified note about me and some quotes that I never said came in and saw me taking off one restraint at a time. And she goes, what are you doing? And I was told to stop. I was told I could not do unsupervised range of motion. I mean, I haven't done patient care in a while, but I'm certainly trained to do that. I'm a BSN and um, they didn't even want me to do that. And it's, it's crucial for someone that's restrained and lying out flat with their hands and feet tied to the bed that you have some movement or you're gonna have more muscle wasting. And he had lost so much weight at that point, he had lost 52 pounds. Since he's had a peg tube, he has lost another 10. The dietician is saying that he is getting adequate nutrition and adequate hydration. Clearly he's not. So he's continued to decline in that area too, but he remains alert and he wants to live and he wants to get his life back. So he ended up with a trach on the 24th of February and they miscalculated his, the size of his um, trachea. And so the next day he had a second anesthesia in the OR because he was frail and they put it in a larger, a larger trach, which he has had ever since. Um, he ended up with a nosocomial infection because one of those chest tubes was placed in the ER at 3 a.m. There was no one in the hospital to place it um, in interventional radiology. And instead of having the ER doctor come up to him, he was taken to the ER and he ended up with a lung infection. So that was the first time um, that the hospital elected to put him in, on an antibiotic. I had begged three weeks earlier for doxycycline because it treats lung fibrosis. And we, we felt after some prayer that that was going to make a difference. And I said to the doctor, please, can we have a four day trial, just a trial. And if nothing happens, fine, take it away. So we got the trial and his values started to come down to normal. So all of a sudden COVID pneumonia um, was changed to patient has super bacterial infection. Hmm. Before that, they wrote no evidence for empiric antibiotics. But since we begged and he was put on it and he responded very well, they had to write something to cover their butts. They stopped it after 10 days. The doctor in our community wants to keep them on it for three months to treat the, the fibrosis, but they stopped it. You know, they're only going to follow protocols. And then when he got the nosocomial infection from going to the ER, they put him on a big broad spectrum antibiotic. Finally, that went for 10 days. He again, he again has a nosocomial hospital acquired lung infection, a urinary tract infection, and we think an infection in the esophagus where the trach is because um, he has inflammation in the trachea and he is producing bloody secretions. So they've also over perfused him. Everything we've asked for, we've been denied. I think they finally gave him something to thin the secretions today because for the past two nights, his heart has dropped to dangerous levels because his trach has clogged with thick mucus. He is dehydrated they will not hydrate him to appropriate levels. So that's going to increase the thickness of his secretions. They wouldn't give him mucinex, which worked for him in the past. They were giving him Robitussin. Someone with pneumonia should not have their cough suppressed. So that's what they felt was, was the guapacin that was going to help him. 
He has pressure ulcers. They've refused an alternating pressure mattress. Um, they just want to do turning. And their version of turning is putting a wedge under one shoulder, and then two hours later, putting a wedge under the other shoulder. The sacrum and the heels remain on the bed. So it's useless. So he's refusing it. So they're just writing that uh, they're coming in every two hours to turn him, and he's refusing turns. Well, they never were turns to begin with. PT and OT work together, but they bill separately. And their version of PT is let's sit him up on the side of the bed. They won't give him any medication to deal with the dizziness. He's been in bed for 84 days. And in the other unit, they gave him antivert, and it helped him progress with PT. The ICU is the worst place in that hospital, and they will not give him anything he's asking for, for comfort, for progression, for malnutrition. I mean, he's able to self-advocate. I send him notes every, every morning about what to ask for after I look at his labs and I look at the notes in the portal which is my only way of getting information from the hospital. I've had no doctor call me in two and a half weeks. We've asked them. And the past two nights when he has had such a low heart rate that he could die, they haven't called me. I just see it in the notes the next morning. I was banned back on February 21st after a sitter observed our visit that Sunday before she arrived when visiting hours started, and she left when visiting hours ended. All I did that day was pray into his ear and play praise music, and she watched the whole time, so I don't know what she wrote in the notes. But they said that she was present and could not leave the room because he was pulling on his BiPAP mask. Well, he wasn't on BiPAP. He was on the vent, and he was barely conscious. But... Um, that day when he did wake up, I said, this is, this is Sheila. She's going to be watching us. And he just rolled his eyes. The next day, the nurse, um, I came in at two, about an hour after visiting had started. And I came in and I discovered that his EET tube, the tube that went down his throat, he hadn't been tricked at that point, was loose from his face. He was in distress. That tube was sloshing around in his trachea. It was uncomfortable and I immediately reported it. And then I went back into the room because the nurse that I reported it to said, oh, I'll tell his nurse I'll call respiratory. No one came in to assess the situation. He was in distress. I put my hands on his cheeks to hold it in place. And from that exchange, the nurse then wrote a note that I had touched the EET tube without gloves, even though she had done the same thing later, um, that I refused to step back from the bed, that I had said that I'm the only one that can calm him down, and that I had unrestrained him to do range of motion. The reality was I had asked her not to sedate him after they had resecured the tube for 10 minutes. I asked for 10 minutes to try and talk him down from his anxious state. I can do that sometimes, but I never said that I was the only one that could calm him down. But every time I visited, they would find some reason to sedate him. And within a few seconds of them pushing an IV, he would be out. And that day she said, well, he's bradycardic. His heart's going too fast. He's breathing too fast. I can read the monitors. They hadn't changed. They hadn't changed. Wow. And when did you want to get him out? I mean, has this has this been... February 8th. So February 8th, he would have gone. Yes, out. but then he needed a chest tube because he developed a large pneumothorax. 
even that was mismanaged. They um, they put in a 12 French tube. That's one of the smallest you can use for a huge pneumothorax. His lung had collapsed. And three days later, he had to go down to the ER to get a 26. Now that's twice as big. And he should have never been taken to the ER. He was too frail. And the ER is the dirtiest place in the hospital. And of course, then he got an infection. It seems very odd, this treatment approach that they've had. We've been in this pandemic for two years now. Do you get the sense or have you heard that this is the standard approach they're using for Absolutely. all patients? Okay. Mm -hmm. COVID protocols. Everything's COVID about protocol. protocol. I've been working with Truth for Health. Um, the nurse that I work with is saying that this is rampant everywhere. I um, have been in touch with Virginia Freedom Keepers and frontline nurses. They're saying this kind of treatment is rampant everywhere. The first thing they did when they admitted him was stop his hydroxychloroquine. Now, he wasn't on that for COVID. He's always on hydroxychloroquine because he travels to countries where malaria is present. Malaria, right. Mm -hmm. So he uses it for that, and he uses it for arth arthritic inflammation. But they stopped it. So, of course, he started to have pain right away. And they stopped it not because of the reasons we were using it. They stopped it, they told me, because it wasn't on the COVID protocol. And then we fought to get back his vitamin C, his D, his zinc. We did get that back. We fought hard, not at levels that were going to do him any good. And since we didn't have a zinc ionophore to get the zinc into the cells for immune health, it wasn't going to do much good anyway. When he went on the vent, they also took away NAC. NAC is a supplement that helps with lung health, helps to preserve and protect the lungs. He's been off it for a month. They just decided, uh, even though he had been on it the whole hospital stay, and it was a home maintenance med, so he should legally be able to stay on it. They took it away. We can't get it back. So they're not applying any kind of home health type remedies. They just have their standard protocol. Did they share that protocol with you? No. Or do, they don't. So they just tell you this is the protocol and this is it. So mm -hmm. you don't get to get any transparency about the protocol. I don't get any information. Um, after I got banned, I was getting semi-daily calls with the doctor updating me. I was able to call if I saw something in the portal that he was having a difficulty in the middle of the night. And then all of a sudden, after I did a media, an independent media um, interview, I was told that I could not get information from the nurses anymore. I could only speak to the doctor. And that so they had found out. How did yeah. they find out? I don't know how they found out. Um, wow, the nurse last week that wrote one of the false notes um, put herself back on his case in the middle of the shift. She went down to pick him up from a swallowing study. And while they were coming back out of context, and suddenly she just said, you know, hospital personnel are getting death threats. You know, your wife was on Stu Peters. And ever since then, we've been getting death threats because, um, because of what she did. He also had his visitors banned. And he asked about that, people from the church that were helping uplift him. And they said, oh, well, we did that to keep you safe. And he said, you need to stop keeping me safe. I am not in danger from my friends who are coming to pray with me, and I want my visitors back. Wow. So he wrote out a list and gave it to the unit manager to get his visitors back. He put me at the top, um, but that doesn't mean I've been able to see him or hear anything from the hospital. 
And have you heard anything about their incentives? There, I mean, you hear about the mm -hmm. hidden protocol, but you hear stories about incentives to vent, mm -hmm. to pr provide remdesivir. Mm -hmm. Have you seen or seen any evidence of that being applied in your husband's case or somebody else's case? We've had to fight to keep him off of Rundemisphere. They kept wanting to introduce that, and there was no reason for it. He was not truly COVID positive. We were not dealing with a virus. We were dealing with a bacteria. So we fought that. I believe he's been safe from Rundemisphere, but we know of someone from our church who went to another Innova hospital, and she ended up being given Rundemisphere without her knowledge and now has kidney issues post-hospitalization. Their test of remdesivir, I think that this is public information. Half the people ended up with like mm -hmm. uh, organ damage. It's off the charts that they even apply mm -hmm. that. It's really crazy. Right. Well, the six people who used it in France, uh, two of them needed kidney transplants. The other ones didn't make it. Uh, so they didn't want to use it anymore. It's only used in the United States. I think all... Fauci's company put that together, right? If I remember. So there might be some perverse incentives there. I'd have to go back and look into that, but and then, it's a really dangerous drug. And a lot of these protocols, my understanding, I'm not a doctor. I don't give medical advice, but I've read about, I had COVID too. I had something mm -hmm. like it. I took ivermectin for mm -hmm. two rounds. I took a lot of green tea, exactly what you said, zinc, vitamin C, vitamin D. I ate very well, rested mm -hmm. when I felt tired. Um, I had a cough for a long time, but I seemed to be okay. Mm -hmm. uh, but... Yeah, there's just some other treatment options that you can have. My understanding of reading COVID is that a lot of these symptoms aren't even, the virus leaves your body, but the damage is done. So you want to repair that damage. And a lot of these doctors are saying it's just a lung problem. Have you ever heard anything about endothelial damage or cellular, uh, kind of like uh, vein damage or... Because that's what I've heard is that it, uh, the damage that the COVID causes, SARS-CoV-2 causes inflammation to all of the mm -hmm. uh, vein system in your body, endothelial stuff. Have you heard anything like that? Yes. The, uh, the spike protein itself damages your endothelial lining, creates inflammation everywhere. Okay. And, you know, that's the same thing that's in the vaccine. So they're actually giving us the most pathogenic part of the virus in that vaccine. Now, they ended up getting a bonus when they wrote COVID all over his chart, and it is in every note. Even the dietician writes, unvaccinated uh, male will refusing COVID protocols. It's true. It's unvaccinated, and we refuse COVID protocols, but we've had to fight hard for that. And I believe that's why he was put on the vent the second time. They, it appears as if it was orchestrated, that sedating operative med should have never been used for that period of time. I don't know why they thought he needed it to begin with. So they got paid from the CARES Act the first time they put him on the vent. They got paid for the COVID diagnosis and they got paid the second time he went on the vent. And I believe they wanted to change his code status because if they die, if he dies with COVID all over his chart, big bonus, big bonus. It's incredible. So the incentives are perverse within, they're not sharing them to the people outside, the patients. Mm -hmm. It's very sick. It reminds me of like a Michael Crichton movie, like the coma or something, where the medical establishment is so corrupt that they're going to they're going to fudge the system. They fudge the numbers for this COVID thing on so yes. many different levels. So you, it's hard to find accurate stuff. They've lied about everything. They lied about ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, mm -hmm. right. Zelenko, 
Mm -hmm. uh, it's really off the charts. I do believe that there is a virus out there. Somebody, something's harming people. Yeah, I There's work no in retirement there. living and, and as a healthcare administrator, we we have seen it. We we've we were part of it. We were doing 12, 14 hour shifts, and you know back then we were concerned. But I can tell you, I picked up my antibodies. Now I do have autoimmune. But I picked up my antibodies wearing goggles, gown, gloves, N95, properly masked. That's when I got my antibodies. I never really had symptoms because my body just wipes things out. But it didn't protect me. The whole, All of the, the mitigation measures really didn't make a difference. And John and I are like mind. So we both agreed um, that this is the course we were going to follow. But you can tell something's really amiss with the whole approach because they've not they're not focusing on people like you who no. have natural immunity. You should get a natural immunity card. You shouldn't okay. get a vaccination card. Right. You should get something that says I had it, I have proof I had it. I probably should get one too, assuming that mm -hmm. these PCR tests are correct, which those aren't even reliable either. No, you might have had something, yeah. Nevertheless, That's why I did four tests to prove he was negative. Uh, it was around Christmas time and I was trying to prove to my daughters He's fine. He's negative. So we did the four tests to make sure that it was going to be consistent. But there's something about them not wanting to use antibiotics, not wanting to treat bacterial infections, because now he has a nosocomial infection again. His infection markers started rising seven days ago. At one point, uh, two or three days in, they were right back where they were when he was admitted back on January 5th. Yet they kept writing no empiric evidence for antibiotic use. It wasn't until the markers just became so, so high that they finally thought, well, last Sunday they, they'd try something. And so they put him on uh, cephalosporin. He asked not to be on a cephalosporin. He gets C. diff right away. But that's what they gave him. And thank God he is tolerating it. And just today, after this many days, that antibiotic is starting to bring some of the markers down. But he has pneumonia yet again. And he had no comorbidities. His lungs were fine when he went in. So now he has very low lung volume. He has a tracheostomy. He has a peg tube. And he just wants to get his life back. But he's 62 pounds thinner than when he arrived. So there's muscle wasting. He can't lift his legs. His upper body strength is returning. So we're trying to bring him home in order for the equipment company to come out and do their own assessment because they've learned that they can't trust this hospital to give them proper values. They wanted us to have an agency in place. We found out through our insurance care manager that the hospital was sending out referrals to agencies with not just essential medical information, but with their own little opinions attached to them. They sent one to a really good agency that said that I was suit happy. We don't know if they've sent out information accusing me of trying to take out his airway, but why in the world would I consent to an artificial airway and then try and take it out? I How can they say you're suit happy if you haven't filed a suit? I haven't filed a suit. I've never threatened to file a suit. Neither one yeah, of that's us. That's an intro. You got to keep all this evidence. These all have to be there. Mm -hmm. This is super sketchy. doesn't it's mean we're really not going to try and sue, but we have to first prove he was COVID negative because the attorneys have told us that if he's COVID positive, the hospital has complete immunity. They can do whatever they want to a COVID patient. They're immune. It's so incredible. because I have all the test cards and everything yet, um, we're trying, we're hoping that we can get a hold of that PCR, find out the cycles it was run at, and be able to prove that he was COVID negative on admission. 
And all of this has been COVID nonsense and it's decimated him because of non-treatment. I mean, you, if you got him out, you would have him at home care, still vented or still with a trach, right? Is he he's on a trach collar during the day. So he's on 40% oxygen, which is about 10 liters during the day. And then to rest his lungs, uh, he's on the vent three or four hours at night. Now, last night he was on seven hours because they won't hydrate him. They won't do anything to thin the secretions. So for the past two nights, he's had mucus plugs in his trach. So essentially he's lost his airway and his heart can't take much more of that because he goes down into the 40s and That's eventually it could just nightmare. pop. Yeah, but they don't nightmare. tell me about it. I have to read about it the next day. And do you see, is he in a COVID ward with other people being treated the same way? Do you know? He's in the ICU. So I'm sure there's COVID positive patients there. So he's back in the ICU for the past 28 days. He did much better when they transferred him out of the ICU after 13 days. And he was on something they call the CDU unit. Um, I had not heard of that before. It didn't exist when I was in training. It's um, the place that they told me they take COVID positive patients to house them. And what that really said to me was, uh, they're housing them until they can dispose of them. Wow. So it's like a pre-set before yes. they go to the morgue or something. And he like was that. transferred to that unit at three in the morning. He was on a transfer list for two days. And at three in the morning, suddenly they came in and they moved him to another unit. And I told him, you know why you got transferred at three in the morning, how that bed became available. They don't discharge people at three in the morning. Somebody died on that place where they house COVID positive patients. Do you feel like he's uh, stabilized or what, what do you, what's your optimal is to get him out of there, get him out of treatment and get him in home treatment or something? Is that your optimal? Yes. We want to get him in home treatment. We want to switch the tube feeding to whole foods because um, extended COVID or COVID damage can lead to mast cell activation. And they're actually thinking that long COVID is actually, you know, I read all these studies, is really mast cell activation. It's an over response from your immune system. So we want to treat Cytokines, that. yeah. It's, it's mm -hmm. Weird things happen, yeah. Yeah, we want to treat that. We want to treat mitochondrial dysfunction to get him stronger and overcome the weakness. And we want to actually treat the lung infection with an antibiotic that's going to work. We can also reverse some of this damage if we can catch it in the first two months after it's occurred. We're hooked up with an institute called the Wei Institute, W-E-I. The doctor wants to put him on a drug that will stop the scarring. And then we can work through supplements and everything else to, to build him back up. That can't happen in long-term care, acute care, which is what the hospital was pushing. So they had him, they sent out referrals everywhere from Northern Maryland to Southern Virginia. And two places would accept him. Um, they are both death traps. One has a wrongful death suit against it and a level J deficiency, which means that they've been cited for um, mass issues, not just with one patient, but with multiples. And they paid- Where, a What's a level J? Who, who makes that? That's uh, um, designation. I don't understand. That. That's through uh, Centers for Medicare and okay, so um, Medicaid Medicare services. Medicare. When they go out, and the Department of Health, when they go out to do inspections, a level J is a huge deficiency. They paid a sixty thousand dollar fine in the spring 
for lack of care. They also, in the reviews, don't call doctors when families beg them to. The other facility that they wanted him to go to is in Richmond. It's a two and a half hour drive for me. And they also have uh, warnings in their reviews with um, families saying, please don't send your loved one here. My person died here. They laid in their own excrement. The staff doesn't care. There's no care here. We're not gonna let that happen. I mean, bringing him home is going to be a lot on me. And I've had to hire private respiratory therapists to be ready to assist and teach me because I haven't been allowed in the hospital to be taught. I did drive up to Pennsylvania last weekend to get some intro because when I was in school, um, trachs and vents were not a big deal. And then I did hospice work after that. So, and I haven't done patient care for a long time, but I can take care of his pay. I can run the IVs. I can turn him, I can do PT. I can help um, begin to feed him orally. All of these things can be done at home. They're not gonna happen in acute long-term care. And he would be devastated. He's too young to be in a nursing home. How old is he when he went in? Well, he went in at 68. His birthday occurred while he was in the hospital. I wasn't allowed to talk to him or see him that day. So he missed all the holidays from Christmas through now. We're hoping not to miss Easter. We just want to be together. They've taken more than two months away from us as a couple. Do you feel life. like their incentive is to keep him in acute care? It seems, I mean, uh, just out of your, your, your feelings. About they that. want to discharge him to uh, long-term care, acute care. They want him to go straight from the ICU, which never used to be a thing. You always went to a step-down unit, to one of these death traps. I don't know if they're getting a kickback from those places or why they are so pushing that that avenue and working so hard to prevent home discharge. Now he put in writing that he would only accept home discharge. They're only working with him. They're telling, they write in the notes that he is able to make his own medical decisions. But with the infection he has right now, he's forgetting things. He's not always accurate. He's telling me things that he may be dreaming because the doctor also told me the last time he talked with me that he has ICU delirium from being in the hospital so long and they've isolated him. He's not been allowed to see people. So it's not surprising. And he, they wake him up every two hours. He's asked a million times, please don't draw my blood at 3 a.m. And then they do his glucose test. He is, now has steroid-induced diabetes. He never had diabetes before. And he's awake. They wake him up every two hours. And this is every night. So I course, wouldn't do well under those circumstances being outside of a hospital. If nobody would. Sounds like torture, yeah. Like it is gotta, torture. Wow, that's a terrible story. I'm sorry that you had to go through all that stuff. Yeah. I, I mean, what would you do looking back? I mean, that's a lot of learning in a short period of time. Mm -hmm. What would you tell somebody listening for uh, who's having this, you know, maybe entering this three month period that you've gone through? What what advice or insights? Well, one thing have? that I was not aware of because I went to school a long time ago is that high flow oxygen is available in the home. So if someone is starting to desat, you can pay privately, get that oxygen company out there right away, and you can increase well, well beyond 10 liters that you have on a concentrator. You don't even need to go to the hospital. 
You can get home care nurses, even if you have to pay privately to run IV antibiotics, you can do IM antibiotics. Avoid the hospital at all costs because you're not going to get curative care there. You will likely never come out. You'll get management care or death care. You death st- care. I think you, you stated the, was it the FLCC? Or what was it? The, I, you stated an acronym at the beginning. That oh, you, yes. Um, we had followed the um, Frontline Critical Care Alliance protocols and Dr. Zelenko's protocols. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah. And you can see they have tons of doctors mm-hmm. on there. And you can find where you can get prescriptions mm-hmm. and a care alternate from some of these CARES Act incentives, which I haven't read through. But I bet it would be interesting to read the CARES Act and see what it provides. Because well, We had an excellent physician. He pre-prepared us with the appropriate antibiotics should we get sick. And we had tons of ivermectin because he had just been to India in November. He brought it home for us and he brought it home for everyone in the church. And we knew what the protocols were because I was already counseling people in the church about what they needed to do. And he was driving me, I don't see well at night because of my autoimmune. And he was driving me to places at 10 o'clock. We were running IV vitamin C for people who were dehydrated. We give them ivermectin. These were our friends. And we did that for about a month. And then he got sick. He got sick. Did you, just from your own application of ivermectin, did you find it that it worked, that it uh, alleviated him? He cleared his uh, COVID in a week. My son, um, you know, we did the whole um, prescribing by weight. Uh, He was on um, 0.4 per kilogram. And uh, we did the same thing with my son. My son, who has my immune system, cleared it in two days. Two days, right. On the same protocol. John cleared it in seven. That means your son's probably taking, what, eight, eight ivermectin pills a day or something like that, or 10? I don't remember what well, he was taking, but he, he weighs more. So, you know, we right. did it by weight. We followed the protocols. We weren't just guessing. And we were grateful for those, you know. Dr. Zelenko's a hero for everything. No, he's very courageous. That guy has a mm-hmm. lot of courage. I mm-hmm. totally respect that guy. And and Malone and McCullough, guys yes. who are out there. That I mm-hmm. know. Absolutely. Um, but cu- they're countering... This it it is fascism when you have a government that's the same interests as these corporate entities, Pfizer revolving doors, mm-hmm. it's fascism with a prettier face. Maybe it has a woke sticker or mm-hmm. a rainbow flag on it. It's still fascism. That's what tricks people is like they're used to seeing somebody horrible like Hitler or Mussolini and go, Oh, that's obvious fascism. You have fascism in the United States right now, and you're not getting the best treatment, it's not objective treatment. Mm-hmm. And monsters like Walensky and Fauci, these mm-hmm. are your enemies. They are totally evil people. And yeah. he's probably, I think that he's probably complicit. I mean, at least in my understanding, he's complicit in the gain of function research yes. that put this stuff out. So that, I mean, so they're managing this, the beginning to the end. According to the Project Veritas, it was a huge undertaking yes. to cover up the origination of the virus. So they're, they're, man, and you can go back in his aides and Kennedy's book. It's well worth anybody's time. Or uh, Bregan's book, if you read that, I would highly recommend that as well. Which yes, is, I have uh, Robert F. Kennedy's book, uh, The Real Anthony Fauci. Haven't had time to read it. Yeah, but we I'm also sure know of four people associated with our church or friends who have died within a week of taking the vaccine. A 20-year-old that died in his sleep, a 17-year-old healthy athlete who died in his sleep, and then a mom and a grandma from the That's vaccine crazy. itself. Vaccine. So we were never going to go there. It's yeah. religious exemptions. 
they could have had much better treatment from the get-go. They suppressed these treatment options mm -hmm. and approaches and have suppressed it from the beginning. They are, in my opinion, uh, complicit in mass murder. They are monsters. They are some of the most evil people I've ever... I do not want to share a country with these people. They are that evil. It's not... It's just a horror show. Like something like out of like Mangala or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I really am sorry that this happened to you. I, I hope that everything works out and um, I'll keep you in prayer and, and I hope he comes out the other side. Thank you. And so I know it's very difficult. Is there anything you'd like to add? I'm worried about 45 minutes. I have another guest in about nine minutes. I mean, thanks so much for sharing too. I'm sure it's very difficult, but I hope people hear these stories. Like you said, get the, get the home oxygen, get home care. Try to find some way around this because you might get, I had, I've had terrible personally seven years ago, I had a terrible experience in a hospital where I basically pulled out like the needle and walked out. I signed a paper and said, I'm out of here. You yep. guys are full of S, you know. We may uh, still need to do that. We may have to take him out against medical advice before they blow out his yeah. lungs with this high pressure event. I, I was like, you guys aren't even treating me. This is a joke. I went no. home. I actually felt better. I probably saved my life. I walking out on my own thing. Uh, so, yeah. So, get home. Think about home care. Yeah, think about that. I trained in in um, Allentown, Pennsylvania, in the hospitals up there. But back then, they actually cured people. People went home healthy. People didn't come home decimated, and worse than when they went in. So, so yes, avoid avoid it. There is there is a uh, there is a virus out there, guys. It's not just some kind of fiction. There's something going around that's not good, but. Mm -hmm. um you there are some options like i took green i was drinking tons of green tea mm -hmm. the strongest antioxidants i could get my hands on yep. vitamin c i was drinking green tea all the time like six times a day like literally pounding green tea when i was sick you can take it and, as a supplement the ecgc supplements are zinc ionophores they help that zinc get into the cell which is what you need that or cortison and we knew all that we did all that he didn't go in for covid he went in for something else. They he had something else. So he cleared the virus. I my under like I said, I'm not a doctor. I keep reading this literature. It's the the virus is gone, but people are sick. So yeah. the virus has done its damage, and people need to repair that damage, which is lung damage, mm -hmm. uh, venous to your veins. Like I keep seeing this word endothelial. So it's yes. like all of the stuff gets damaged mm -hmm. through inflammation in this in the spike protein. Right. And this whole this whole it's not really a, a vaccine. It's gene therapy, right. and they didn't have to go that route. The mm -hmm. Russians didn't go that route. Right. I think the Sputnik thing is not gene therapy. It's mm -hmm. actually something else. So they had a completely different approach. Right. Um, Lori, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear that story, but I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to share your story. With very Just so they know what they can, they're looking at. Mm -hmm. I, I think that these... I, you know, hospitals, a lot of them are for profit. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. a lot of these doctors are not in it for, uh, you know, the Hippocratic Oath. It's they're in it for the money. Right. And it's the same thing. If you look at the cancer industry or some of these other, mm -hmm. like if you have cancer, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go to a cancer doctor. It's not no. funny, but no. they will poison you to death. Absolutely. Um, We've been through so, that too. Yeah. Okay, well, that's a whole other story. Right. Lori, if people want to talk to you or reach out or, uh, uh, contact you. What uh, What's the best way to do so? Uh, they do can you... do that. They can do that through email. Um, SimpsonLA113 at gmail.com. 
We are trying to line up respiratory therapists. I have one for next week because I do need that trach and vent support who's staying with us 24 seven. But if he doesn't get discharged, I will not have that support. So um, we will need respiratory and we have to pay privately. That's not available through an agency to wean him and get him off that trach and to support us, to keep him safe. I'm not going to endanger his life by bringing him home. I want everything in place so that he has a chance to get his life back. Yeah, well, I wish you the best. And, and thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Stay there. Stay there.